Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Jenny McDonald and Will Hegeman, coming to you this Tuesday, as always, uh, with our fabulous podcast full of cults and cats and coffee and weirdness and Victorian strangeness and uh, whatever the case may be, um, whatever basically kind of has occurred to uh, Jenny this week to get into. I, as always, have no idea what we are about to talk about. Uh, I am the uh, the random um, listener, I don't know what my role in that. It's years, I don't even know what well. my role in this podcast is, but I, I am here. <laughs> I, I will comment, I guess, and I will try to figure out what the heck we're talking about today. So, uh, Jenny, what? Give me some hints. What? What's? What's the subject today? Now that we're pushing here toward New Year's. Absolutely nothing to do with New Year's. Absolutely right. something to do with just a special topic. I enjoy. Cool. That's a plus. What's a, what's what's up? Well, here's the thing. I'm going to talk today about something that maybe is real, maybe isn't. Exists in classical classics. Okay. Hmm, if it well, does exist, we don't know where it is. Sounds very Atlantis, but we're on the right track, but not Atlantis. Um, let's see. The lost city of something in the Himalayas. I don't know. Um, Is there a lost city in the Himalayas? There, I'm trying to remember. There's some. Oh, Shangri-La. That's it. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah. No, it's not Shangri-La, but now I'm going to look that up later. Yeah. Um. So you were closer with Atlantis time-wise. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And it involves someone who I question if they existed as well. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Um, goodness. I do not know. <laughs> it got me. Okay. It involves books that aren't really books. Okay. And a complex and a great fire. All right. So the lighthouse of Alexandria and I don't know. Alexandria is close. All right. Because it's the right name, but the wrong object. Okay. Um, the lighthouse at Alexandria. Not the, No, you've said lighthouse twice now. Oh, I thought, oh, the great library. There you go. Okay, all right. There all right. We go. That's what I was, that's what I thought I said the first time. Apparently it didn't come out of my mouth right, but. Maybe you did and I heard lighthouse. Um, I'm, I'm sure my brain and mouth did not link up as per usual, so. I don't know. Maybe you said it right and I heard it wrong. I mean, both <laughs> things way. are highly possible with us. All right. Either way, collection of ancient books that supposedly burned to a crisp once upon a time. Yes. And I will go ahead and state that my theory from the very beginning is that Alexander the Great and the Library of Alexandria did not really exist in the way that we say they existed. Okay. This is the Jenny theory because all these things cannot go completely missing <laughs> unless we're just misunderstanding or the story has grown yeah. in such a way, right? Yeah, I could totally see the story growing from they had a good 20, 30 volumes of cool things in Alexandria. <laughs> and right. uh, yeah, who knows? But cool. All right. Sounds like a fun topic. I have at least heard of it. <laughs> yeah. And at some point I'll do Alexander the Great because he is also a fascinating subject. And like I yeah. said, not fully certain if he's more myth than than truth so yeah that would make sense right but, like the story yeah. it's a little much sometimes but that's okay i also <laughs> i think the same for what's the other um is it genghis khan maybe yeah yeah you're the yeah. world conqueror yeah it's another one of those people that are like this story is so like unreal but also it's not but it feels so unreal Especially because yeah. we have a missing tomb. Yeah, I was going to say, you never know where either one of them is buried. So, you know. Right. Which makes the story harder to to believe. Although with yeah. Genghis Khan, at least, like, we know that a lot of people share the same DNA. So some of the legends might be yeah. truthful. Yep. Anyhow, obviously, well, it's a special right. topic day. Yeah, well, 
<laughs> Sounds good. So we got the Great Library of Alexandria, which yeah. I've heard things about. <laughs> so tell, tell us. All right. Okay. So we know this is what we think we know. Um, it's housed in Alexandria, Egypt, which is the northwestern end of the Nile Delta. Now, Alexandria, Egypt is founded by Alexander the Great on his conquest to take over the world. Uh, this happens around 331 BC. Eight years later, he dies and one and his empire is divided amongst various generals. So at that time, Ptolemy I Soter becomes the ruler of Egypt and establishes the capital at Alexandria. Under his reign and the reign of his descendants, the city grows into one of the greatest, most possible prosperous cities of the Hellenistic period, which is until about 30 BC. So that's 300 years of being a pretty thriving commercial hub and Mediterranean seaport. I will not argue that Alexandria exists because it's clear it does. Like, <laughs> we have proof of this. People have seen it. <laughs> right. People, People have there. been there. It still exists to this day, just in right. various forms, right? Yeah. Um, and we think that the library was probably created... If we believe in the story, the library was created soon after the founding of Alexandria. Uh, but it's unclear whether it was founded by Alexander, by Ptolemy I, or Ptolemy II. Probably, though, most likely came through from Ptolemy II. So we're looking at 284 to 246 BC, about a 40-year period of time in which it would have operated, which is interesting when you think of places like Cambridge that have operated for 40 billion years, apparently. Yeah, those barbarians up there in the Northwest didn't have cool books. So, you know. They didn't. Go. Yeah, all the cool books are hanging out in the Eastern Mediterranean. So, Well, that's where all the trade is, because that kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. Yep. So, persistent legend in the Alexandria story, because like I said, is it is it real or is it a story? Um, the library began when one of Ptolemy the first subjects, who's an Athenian by the name of Demetrius of Philarium, proposed constructing a building to house all the world's known manuscripts, which actually is kind of a smart choice, right? Like, yeah. let's just have a copy of shit here. We're super wealthy. We deserve this. We should know what's going on in the world. That's how we maintain our power. So his grand design was to erect a place of learning that would rival Aristotle's uh, Lyceum, which is a school and library near Athens. And Ptolemy the first is like, yeah, let's do better than Athens. You know, we're we're going to be the new powerhouse of the world. Let's do this. So they built a building um, within the palace precincts. It was called the Museon or the place of the muses. Now, this is something new for me. Did not realize that they called it a museum, which is where yeah. we derived the word museum from. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And it was more like a, it was in a lot of ways kind of like a, a college with a dormitory built into it, if you will, because people lived there. Nice. So Zenodotus of Aphasius was the first chief librarian. Uh, he's a Greek scholar and poet who served as chief librarian probably from the very beginning when Ptolemy built the building, and then for sure while Ptolemy II ruled. Uh, responsible for creating the first edition of Homer, which he created the first huh. edition, or Homer did, right? Maybe it's just the first recorded. First nice written down version. Yeah. yeah. Um, and attempted to determine which parts of the Iliad and the Odyssey were the original, and which were adi additions from later uh, writers. He also edited the work of Hesiod, Pindar, and other ancient poets, and produced his own poetry, because, you know, after a while, you're reading all this stuff and transcribing <laughs> it, and you're like, I got this, I'm gonna write something. Yeah, I can do this. Yeah. Right? Including, including maybe the legend of Alexandria, right? Nice. So we know that the library expanded in size and scope over the years, um, because the rulers start to see advantages of promoting a center of learning and culture within the city. Uh, generous royal subsidies led to the creation of complex buildings that surround the museum. And although we don't know the precise layout of the library, what we do kind of know is that the height of it was tall and it was big because they supposedly had lecture halls 
laboratories, meeting halls, gardens, dining rooms, a zoo. So, like, <laughs> all the shit that you would have in a museum, a college, and an apartment building, essentially. There's even a medical uh, school there where they had dissections of human cadavers, which was pretty unique for this time period because yeah. that didn't really pick up until, like, 15th century Renaissance in Europe. So it was kind of just a lot. And in the lecture halls, the literary works that were housed within the library were often discussed. So it sounds very early version of famous European colleges, which probably built their models off of the museum. Within the library's archives were the manuscripts. Um, and we. this is where things start to get murky in the legend, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Did they house the manuscripts in the museum? Were they housed separately, which makes more sense if you're trying to secure them? It's like the restricted book section. But it's possible that at the height of the library, it housed upwards of half a million written works. Um, these written works were called scrolls. They're all made out of papyrus and reed, which would have grown along the Nile River. So that would be how they made their paper. And the reeds were pounded flat to form paper, and they, then they would dry it in the sun. And they would attach different papers to one another with a form of glue so that it would create this just really long, rolled-up scroll. Hmm. And as far as they were concerned, the scrolls contained the totality of ancient knowledge, right, in the Western world. We have to be very careful when we say shit like this. Yeah, it's yeah. a little, like, too encompassing. Yeah, yeah, this is the thing that, you know... We get every time one of my kids has taken a world history class, and it's like, it's yeah. a European history class. And yeah, this is Western Civ, guys. Sorry. We briefly <laughs> mentioned a couple other places, but this isn't really a world history class because we're really not paying attention to anywhere else. But... Right. Which we still don't in yeah. most. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is still the case with my kid who's presently in college taking a world history class last semester. It was like, well... We mentioned that India existed, and uh, uh, yeah, that's about it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that was all of my courses, actually. Yeah. It was a lot of work. Um, I did a paper in my undergrad on archaeology in China. Yeah. It was a lot of work because there's not a lot that exists in America about Chinese archaeology, at least at that time. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And it was really hard because my professor at the time didn't know what to do with that paper because he didn't really think about the fact that the Chinese did archaeology. It's like, what? People used to live there? What? Right? <laughs> they have their yeah. own interesting system and yeah. governmental biases? That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. weird. No, I mean, with the risk on going on a side, that's now the big thing with uh, paleontology is all the all the cool fossils are coming out of China these days. So, Well, yeah. That's because they didn't really do as much. It wasn't open to Westerners for a really yeah. long time. Yeah, and they interesting stuff going on that I, I know with Nika, they're very bothered that there are a bunch of people that are kind of, I guess, cultural supremacists that <laughs> are very bothered that the, you know, they've finally gone to a more inclusive trend with fossils now of actually naming them in the local language. Yeah. So if you, if you find something in South America, you, you give it a Portuguese or Spanish name. And if you find yeah. something in China, you give it a Chinese name. You don't just make everything Latin. And and it's and bothering yeah, traditional yeah, scientists. Yeah, there are people that are flipping their shit over it, so it's uh, it's entertaining. But yeah, you're like, why are they not writing? You know, why are they not using Latin? And it's like, you don't use Latin. What are you talking about? Like, the why are we not using my changed. specific area of the world's dead language to name there's, these things? I, there's a lot of reasons that you would change it to the local language, cultural relativism being the first one, but also mm -hmm. a, a lot of uh, other countries we would probably consider being racist if you look at the American version of what racism is. They're uh, very internalized in their own nationalism. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 a it's a whole thing, which didn't mean to derail this completely, but it's yeah, but yeah, that's definitely going on in different places of the world. There's people I mean people slowly figuring out that shit happens outside the West. So it's a Yeah. And actually, you know, Eastern has a lot of really important medicine that we've missed out on because we were so anyhow. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <sighs> anyway. All right. Yeah, Jeff. 
Will, this is what you bring to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. My cultural wokeness, that's what I'm here for. You, no, you helped derail me. It's important. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, that's what I... That's what I do. It's the joy of classicists. You gotta go. Gotta go on a weird ass random tangent. That reminds me of this story that I heard one time. Yeah, that's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, students love it because they don't have to do work because you're telling a random ass story from long ago. So, like a lot of students work really hard to get you to go on those tangents. I'm sure. So you know, but you don't have to work hard. You just just gotta throw the bait out there and then, you just yeah. have to have the right trigger word i mean i can remember multiple classes where i was like i can't sit through another lecture somebody has to trigger this professor into telling us a story today yeah yeah you can you can easily get me talking about how my dad used to you know pull pranks on people in the lab and whatever else so good times i know i love this okay so what were on the scrolls all right what were on the scrolls i'm assuming words yeah. All right. Yeah. There we go. Words. I knew it. That was it. Got it. Nailed it. Story's over. Words were on the scrolls, people. All right. So we know that there were a lot of scrolls that had the classical literature, like the Iliad, Homer's, Oedipus, the whole nine yards, right? Mm-hmm. But there were also a lot of religious mythologies and also medical things that were put on there. So we have a lot of the famous Greek writers. So we've got Plato, we've got Aristotle, Pythagoras. Um, Ashuli, Sophocles, Euripides, and Aristotle was especially a prized possession. Everybody apparently loved Aristotle during the classical period. Um, And they were one-by-one accounts that were brought by Ptolemy II, who paid a lot of money for this. So consider it like a rare book collection. He collected those rare books for his country. Um, you also have Hippocrates' medical text. We have the poetry of Sappho, Pindar, and Hesiod. And then the scientific tracts by Thales, Democritus, and Anaximander. We also have um, works of literature from other cultures. So we've got ancient Egyptian, Babylonian, Persian, Assyrian, and Indian texts that are there, which is really interesting. Um, they also collected Jewish, Zoroastrian, and Buddhist text. So it wasn't necessarily very Western-centric, yeah. but the, the study was Western-centric. The collection wasn't. Yeah. That's the, yeah, like you said, that's the advantage of being on the big trade routes in the Eastern Mediterranean. Yeah. And everybody's crossing over. So Yeah, you're right there in a major thoroughfare, and they're probably communicating with people from all of these walks of life. So it makes sense to have this, especially if... Yep. They are built from a colonizing empire, right? Like, that's how you learn about the locals to take them over. So the Ptolemaic rulers wanted to collect all the manuscripts they could find. So they start to get really excited about about this notion, and they send out agents um, all over the world in search of papyri. I 100% would love to be one of these ancient um, agents of the literary, (laughs) literary world. Yeah. Because this sounds like the most fun that you could have. I'm going to show up at a pub and be like, hey, tell me a story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounds fantastic. Um, and they were given explicit orders to find and purchase whatever they could find, essentially. But preferably, the oldest, most original version of said story, according yeah. to ancient history. Uh, didn't care about the cost either. So that means that these people were carrying around a shit ton of money with them. They were probably targets. They were <laughs> absolutely the really fun part of this. Yeah. I mean, this is the fun part of being a rare book collector, right? Yeah. Is you, you want to pay $150,000 for this one volume of Shakespeare? I got you, baby. Right. And the hunger for these manuscripts was so voracious that under the reign of Ptolemy the third, um, all sailing vessels entering the city's harbor were required to hand over any written word they happened to have on board. So they would come, they'd show up, and the Alexandrian scribes would be like, thanks, hand it over, and they would take them and then immediately get to work copying word for word what was in whatever they had with them at the time. So these are like the monks of the world at the time re-recording stuff. And organizing all this... Can you imagine the huge undertaking of organizing all of these scrolls? Because it's not like the names are on the outside, right? Mm -hmm. They're just a bunch of rolled up tubes. How do you determine? So 
they are organized in such a way that scholars can find them easily and get to the thing they're specifically looking for. The task of organizing the scrolls was given to a man named Callimachus, who worked under the reign of Ptolemy II. And he devised a system called the Pinacus, or the Tables. And he just basically classifies scrolls into divisions based on the topic. So it's like, on this bookshelf, here's everything I know about horses. And these topics are going to be natural history, history, poetry, law, rhetoric, medicine, and math. Um, it's very similar to a library catalog or a bibliography, and it's pretty much the model on which other library systems were based. So each scroll contained a tag, um, and I'd love to know more about these tags, man. None of these scrolls existed, <laughs> so we can't, but like... They all had RFID. That was how they did it. Right. Like, yeah. this is genius. How do they hang off? How do, how do you not lose one? <laughs> Uh, when you're talking about this, my first thought is that, you know, sailors being sailors, they had to be trolling the crap out of people if they knew that they were going to basically be searched anytime they came into port. Like, oh, yeah. sure, everybody would be putting together a fake Aristotle text or something that, you know, oh yeah, looked like Aristotle. And then after page two just turns into Ptolemy can eat a bag of dicks sort of thing or something like that, that, you know, isn't that what the know will end up being transcribed into the library. So, you know, it. it has to have happened. Oh, yeah. It had to have. Or if not, man, did they miss an opportunity, yeah, right? Yeah. Yep. So what we do know is that at some point, we got more scrolls than we had space. So they build a second, second, a second library, and it's called the Seraphim. It holds 40,000 scrolls. Nice. And it's near the royal palace in Alexandria sometime between 246 BC and 222 BC. And it's dedicated to the Greco-Egyptian god Serapis. So we know the library gets bigger over time, which is why it's so weird we haven't found it. Yeah. I mean, this we're talking about a pretty massive space near the palace. So... Um, it attracts a lot of the ancient world's most renowned scholars, philosophers, and scientists. So we've got people like Aristophanes of, of Cyrene, Aristocharchus of Samos, Euclid, um, Apollonius of Rhodes, a mathematician called Erathosthenes. He's an astronomer. He's the guy that first calculated the circumference of Earth. Okay, nice. Yeah, I've heard that story. But Yeah. He also became the chief librarian under the reign of Ptolemy III. Um, Aristarchus of Samos was an ancient Greek astronomer and mathematician who first put forward the heliocentric model that placed the sun rather than Earth at the center of the universe. And in about 300 BC, Euclid, who was the father of geometry, wrote Elements, um, which is one of the world's most influential works of math, apparently. And then you've got Apollonius from Rhodes. He is famous for writing a long poem based on the classical tale of Jason and the Argonauts. So we're starting to get some some famous people in, which makes sense. Like yeah. we're looking at a pretty powerful area. A lot of knowledge is passing through. And they're challenging Athens and Greece for being the center of intelligence at this point. So now is the downfall. Julius Caesar is accused by many historians of starting a fire in Alexandria that burns the library to the ground. And for a long time, this is the accepted version of what happens. Um, the reason being is that the fire occurred during Caesar's occupation in Alexandria in 48 BC. Um, this is when he's fighting civil wars against political rivals. So according to the story, Caesar, who's been besieged, orders his troops to set fire to enemy ships in the harbor. And um, then to continue to repel the forces, he continues to spread the fire and it destroys the Great Library. Nice. As we know with history. <laughs> this Sometimes <laughs> propaganda exists. Right. Yeah, this seems to be a, a standard trend of <laughs> if there's ever a major conqueror that rolls through. You blame the desecration of all like cool artifacts on them. Kind of like you got all the stories of Napoleonic soldiers shooting the nose off the Sphinx and all that kind of crap, which 
apparently never happened, but you know. No, didn't Aladdin and Jasmine knock it off when they were flying yeah. on the like, magic carpet? <laughs> That's the real story. It's what really happened. Uh, what really happened. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I was kind of just, I had never realized that since we're talking about the burning of the library, what time frame that actually happened in. So that's, that's during Cleopatra's time then, because I know she's the descendant of the Ptolemies that's around when Caesar's in, in Alexandria. So yeah, I did not know it actually was during that time. You know, I knew, knew she was around, but I just assumed it was a hundred years before or something like that. It, no. And it's interesting because she's also uniquely tied to library of Alexandria and her grave is often tied to the library huh. because it is also missing. Okay. Which is also interesting. Yeah. Although, you know, you're, you're the archeologist here. So maybe, you know, this, it seems to me, it seems more plausible that it, it's hard to find remains of something that was destroyed and then people rebuilt around it as opposed to we came upon ancient ruins and here's where the thing was. It's more like, you know, grand central station in New York was huge, but they bulldozed it and turned it into Madison square garden. And there's no trace of grand central station now. So you'd never, you'd never find remnant of it, remnants of it a thousand years from now. You'd just be like, there were stories of a huge train station that used to be here, but it's magically gone, you know? So, uh, you know, I don't know. What do you think? I think that the Egyptians were amazing builders and that there would be something. Yeah. I mean, you go to Europe now and they dig up a parking lot and they find entire murals and like mosaic tile floors. I think there would be something. Okay. Especially because when they when they would level things from the ancient world and I'm I'm going to say this and I'm probably wrong, but I'm betting that they put a shit ton of effort into building these structures. They would not yeah. have been super simple structures. They would have been yeah. pretty well enforced. They would have had basically been like not concrete, but very nice stone yeah. buildings. There would have been a lot. Now, did they take it apart, potentially dismantle things and use it elsewhere? That is plausible. But they but probably you would have still... kept the floor stones and all that sort of stuff to use for other things. and whatnot. Right. Like, yeah. That makes sense. But a structure of this size, there would be something. Yeah. If they know where the palace is, why do they not know where this is? I guess yeah. is my thing. Okay. Yeah. And Fair. I'm not saying that they don't know where everything is. Because I know I've seen some stuff that they're starting to do a lot of excavations in this area. And I think that's the other thing is that we really aren't doing excavations because they built things on top of it. So, yeah. like, in Seattle, when Seattle burned down, they just built new Seattle on yeah. top of it. Which is fascinating if you go there and do the underground tour and yeah, get to walk around on old street level underneath the streets and see all the buildings and walk into the bank and whatever. It's wild. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of places that we're doing that still. So you get to places like Florida where you, they're flooding due to the hurricanes. And so they're just starting to like build up. Yeah. They're bringing in all this dirt and stuff. You still can find the footings of houses in that dirt. Okay. So history is an interest. Humans are interesting we have this propensity to build mounds. Yeah. I think that's just what, <laughs> what it is. We like to move dirt. We're yeah. dirt movers. Um, and so we, we just bury a level and then build right on top of it. We contribute to the stratification of history. There we go. Nice. Yeah. Time to go digging through my backyard. Yeah. Fortunately, not fun. too many people lived around here. So, yeah. 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 The Blue Earth Village people did. Yeah, except in my backyard, it's solid, you know, limestone half an inch down. So that's, that's a little. You live awkward. by a creek, though. I've done yep. a couple of digs in the area in creeks, like off Wildcat Creek, and there's more there than you'd you'd be really surprised. No, interesting. Yeah, and like the the limestone's really great because people use those to um, build shards with. Okay. Be surprised how little effort it takes to build something that you can cut something with out of stone so yeah i guess we got all our we got all our church around here so. we do have a good, good church in the flint hills yep yeah okay so anyway caesar <laughs> caesar yeah caesar so we think that probably caesar's a little bit exaggerated um we do know that there's a fire during caesar's occupation but likely the library is not going to be massively affected some of the scrolls might have been burned but once again it's probably a stone damn building 
stone buildings don't burn the way that people think they do, right? Like the structure is still, <laughs> s- still there. Um, might be black. Suddenly, hearing the jet fuel doesn't burn stone, sort of thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. There we go. Um. And we know that, like, the Roman historian Cassius Dio wrote that a warehouse with scrolls uh, near the dock was burned during the conflict, but the library wasn't touched. Yeah. So, so we have conflicting history. Other yeah. historians um, point to the fact that other visitors that visit much later in life talk about using the library in their <laughs> research. So, like, it couldn't mm. have been completely destroyed during Caesar's occupation. Yeah. Um. But more likely, Library of Alexandria was a slow decay that took place over centuries. Now, this one makes sense to me, especially, like, the fact that we don't have the papyrus. Yeah. Well, we also did not how to sto- know how to store papyrus long term. Yeah. While still being utilized. Like, it does get frail over time, right? So, the most scholars today agree that the library probably suffered a really long, painful decline rather than a short, uh, dramatic death. Yeah. As the influence wanes over time, a lot of the collections are going to be sold or destroyed. And at this point, my theory that a lot of the buildings are taken down and used other places is what a lot of other historians believe. Um, that they take the stones and they build churches and mosques with it. So we do know that there were a lot of things that hastened the decline. Um, so you've got things that, such as Alexandria just isn't as important in the ancient world at one point or another. So one of the events that causes this is Ptolemy VIII. Um, in 182 BC, expels a bunch of the scholars. So probably because they get a little political. That's usually why scholars get expelled from places, including the chief librarian, Aristocris of Samarathrace, who had supported Ptolemy VIII's political rival. So get get some liberals in there, you know, and tenure won't cover that, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Just start to piss everybody off a little bit. And Ptolemy VIII orders the expulsion of all non-Alexandrian scholars from the city. So this creates an unstable and hostile political environment. And we have a diaspora from all the scholars that go back to Rhodes and Athens because that's safe for them to practice there. And then in um, AD 391, the Roman Emperor Theodosius I, who's a devout Christian, issues a decree allowing for the destruction of pagan temples in the empire. Theophilus, the Bishop of Alexandria, acts upon this decree by destroying the Seraphium, ordering the church to be built on its ruins. So that's like library number two. So you get things like that, and then some other incidences, like the Roman Emperor Diocletian's siege and the sack of the city in um, AD 297, helps to continue to destroy buildings and the library, and like he sets fire to the city and burns it out is how they describe it. But I don't necessarily, it's kind of like when we talk about people salting the earth, it's not like they're, now we're not putting salt in the fields necessarily, <laughs> right? Like. Yeah. We're just making it uninhabitable. So, like, yeah, they burn the city to the ground. I I use this yeah. phrase quite frequently, and I do not mean that yeah. I'm looking to get out a lighter and burn shit to the ground. Yeah. Usually it just means I'm deleting a file and starting over. So yeah, I've definitely noticed that and you know, I think I've mentioned a million times now. I've been I've really been enjoying my my little history of the Germans podcast, but it comes up yeah. over and over again when they're like, you know, and they burned the city to the ground. And then, like three years later, they're talking about the city again because like it, it's like it just they just put it right back. It's not like it truly burned to the ground. They, you know, yeah, they came in, destroyed a bunch of crap. People scattered to the hills, and as soon as they left, everybody came back, rebuilt their shit, and the city's there. And it's, uh, yeah, it's exactly exactly right. Like, yeah, they burned the city to the ground. Yeah, they probably chased a bunch of people out. They probably killed a bunch of people, and I'm not saying that lightly because I oh, think I'm it's sure it was horrible. But, yeah. It's <laughs> horrific. <laughs> Yeah. However, it's a lot harder to destroy a civilization than one would like to think. Yeah. We're we're pretty robust as humans. Um, we're like the definition of extremophiles in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, we're the cockroaches of the world, scatter to the hills and come right back. But yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. So uh, we have this whole period of time where shit's just kind of going downhill. We're continuing to kick people out. So Alexandria is just not this intellectual center anymore. 
And then Roman Athens start to become really influential and have really powerful academic centers with renowned libraries. And so we're starting to see the decline of the city as this just important cultural commercial center. You've got all this political and economic problems. We've got social unrest. And we stopped putting time and money into maintaining the library. So the library just kind of gradually dissolves. Yeah. And what this also happens, and this is pretty common in history, right? Like there's a period of time in which empires become unstable and you start to see depressions in economy. You have this social unrest. The infrastructure starts to fail because you're not putting money into those things. You're trying to keep everybody alive right so and people are stealing shit on the way out i mean you know that's part of what's happening too so um a lot of construction projects are halted other academic institutions are attracting people and there's no reason to go to alexandria it's it's no longer safe for intellectuals no longer Mm -hmm. safe for people that don't have steady jobs right like yeah sorry (laughs) we cannot support you it's uh, what do they call those artists in residence? We can't yeah. handle any artists in residence right now. We're trying to keep the children in our city alive on the food that we have because no one will come here because it's so unsafe. So, back. Mm-hmm. Um, by the seventh century, when the um, Arab Caliphate of Omar conquers the city, the library is no longer in existence. However, we do know that there is a Christian bishop by the name of Gregory Bar Habracius that wrote in the 13th century. So this is a period of time is always an issue, right? Mm-hmm. When you have a story that something actually happened in 7th century and then like yeah. the history of it is the 13th century. Yeah. This bishop argues that Caliph Omar played the final role in the dis- destruction of the library. So when the Muslim army took the city, a general reportedly asked what was to be done with all the surviving scrolls. And they reputedly, they reportedly answered, um, they'll either contradict the Quran, in which case they're heresy, or they'll agree to it. So we don't need them. So at that point, burn it down. Yep. So once again, we're met with fire. This is the fifth fire story for the (laughs) Library of Alexandria, by the way. It's the it's a good way to get rid of books, as people have seen over the years. That seems to be the preferred method to dispose of books by everybody is to set them on fire. But... Right. Now, I'm going to bet that you, like me, do not believe this version of the story either, though. Yeah. Anytime yeah, always, there's that big of a gap. I always love these things like that, that it's 600 years later, someone decided it was this guy's fault. And you're like, yeah, yeah, that's a little, little late to the game, you know. I think, I don't know. I think people get, (laughs) don't really seem to quite grasp the time differences when they're looking at stuff and they're like, that's pretty close. It's the 100s versus the, you know, right. And you're like, yeah, that's me making up stories about what happened during the Civil War. It's, it's, you know, it's like, what, you know, it's a lot more time than you realize. This is the difference between me making up stories about what happened in the 1400s. Right. Yeah. 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 I I can just randomly write something about what happened in Sherwood Forest now. And, you know. And everybody's going to believe it. Right. Yeah. 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 People that dig up my crap hundreds of years from now will totally believe it because it's some old guy writing about other old guys. So it's all good. Well, and that's the problem with a lot of the classical literature is that it's a story of a story from a story that. We know names and we know some details, but not the names or details that we think we need to know, right? Yeah. Sorry, I keep getting a message popping up. (laughs) Um, As it happens. So what we do know, if the library did exist, which a version of the library probably existed, I will go with that. Is it as amazing as everyone says? I think our understanding of what it is is different than what it really was. I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, But what we do know is scientists and historians have lamented the loss of the Great Library of Alexandria, the destruction of all the knowledge. um, And we don't really know what we lost, which I'm one of those people who I'm like, if you don't know, it never existed. So it doesn't matter, right? But I can see there were a lot of ancient knowledges that were really interesting that it's really sad that we don't know 
So yeah. things like there used to be a flower that grew that was a natural birth control. Oh yeah, the, and it was like driven to extinction. Off of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's called syphilis or something like that. Yeah. Like yep. And we lost the understanding of Greek fire and and like how to make concrete the original way and things of those natures. So I can understand that the fact that the rumors exist of what was there probably drives some people to madness. Yeah. And I think we're starting to get to the point where people are going to be excavating in this region. So in the next 10 to 15 years, if there is enough political stability and not warfare in this area, we might be able to start to do some excavations. But that takes literally 50 to 100 years. I mean, we're just now getting to the point where we're really understanding what happened at Pompeii, which they excavated in the 50s. Yeah. That's like 100 years ago. So even if we did uncover Alexandria tomorrow, it might be a hundred years before we actually start to really <laughs> get there. Yeah. And we'll still not get anywhere because we won't have all of the details. There won't be as much as there was at Pompeii. Yeah. So anyway, let's go down a rabbit hole. Um, my rabbit hole is not very good because I. <laughs> well, I've got. I've got my own rabbit hole if you want to discuss it. Please, because I did terrible on this rabbit hole. No, no, my thing that's running through my head, I, you know, I'm always obsessed with my my fiction and whatever else that I have read or seen or whatever else. But have you ever read uh, The Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco? No. Or seen the movie with Sean Connery back in the day? It is. Harks back to all this. It's got the same. It's basically all about a library that is basically kept in a monastery in the you know middle ages and you have murders taking place and this one brother is investigating them all but it all basically revolves around the fact that one of the you know the lost aristotle is there that you have one of aristotle's manuscripts that's been kept here and basically it's been hidden away but it's you know it's sacrilegious so no one can no one can access it, and you basically, you know, finally get to, you know, one of the zealot-like brothers has basically poisoned the thing. So anybody that basically uses it and licks their fingers dies of dies of poison and whatever else. But it's a it's a super interesting book. You know, I have meant to read more Umberto Eco ever since I read that forever ago. But it's a really cool kind of murder mystery slash really good historical account of how monks lived to this whole kind of thing of, of course, the library burns and everybody loses these secrets. Because basically this is where a lot of the texts were taken after these ancient times and hidden in this inner sanctum of the library that basically no one except for the head librarian has access to. And this one learned guy definitely, you know, desperately wants in and wants to see all these things and can't. And the whole thing burns, of course, and good story. I've put this now in my phone. I'm going to be getting this book later. This sounds amazing. Really good book. And if you want to watch the movie, it's got Sean Connery and, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Christian Slater in it, of all things. But uh, Interesting combo. And he's his, like, young monk protege or whatever. So it's uh, it's good stuff. So I love books like that. They're they're just yeah. fascinating. And no, it's I, fast, you know, and it's all written in terms of like the monk's day. So every bit is like, you know, you know, Matins, Lods, all the different time periods when they're supposed to be going to prayer. And like, it goes through day by day. Oh, interesting. Like that. So instead of, you know, Tuesday, two o'clock, it's like, you know, Lods. And now they're, you know, going through their stuff. And yeah, it's, 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 it's fascinating book. So. I recently went to the dusty bookshelf here in town and got some books because I've been trying to read more since I haven't enjoyed much reading lately. And I found this whole genre of books about lost things in history. So like the first one was a lost apothecary that was just walled in to a bookstore. And then like, I recently found another one I'm going to read. I think it's a lost library kind of scenario, but this is a genius genre, by the way. Yeah, people like me love this shit. I could care yeah, less yeah. what's actually happening in the story. I want to read more about this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this, this sucked me in forever ago. It, yeah, speak of the devil. I actually, you know, we, we were up in Lawrence a few weeks ago for an appointment for Nika, and I went by the dusty bookshelf and grabbed myself a new Umberto Eco book. So 
I have my my new book from the Lawrence Dusty Bookshelf waiting to be read as well. So I need to get on it. Yeah. It, I I do miss the Dusty in Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. We were just there. Unfortunately, it just has never been quite since they've the same for me since, you know, it burned and then they redid it and to make money because it's in a high rent spot. They basically have it selling coffee and whatnot. So they had to get rid of the cats. So, and I don't know with no cats, it's just, it's just not the same if you boot the cats out of the dusty bookshelf. So I get it. I miss bookshops. I know that that's probably not like a popular opinion, but it's really hard to find books to read because like we have a really great independent bookseller here. I enjoy going to it. I can never find a book for me though. Yeah. Well, that's what the only book, the only real retail, you know, we've got the dusty bookshelf. Which yeah. has all the old secondhand books. Right. And we've got like Books a Million, which just has whatever is super popular right now that they know they can move. And there's nothing right. in between. Right. So like I want I want a book that is a standard book, but it's not super hot right now, but it's a popular enough book that no one's getting rid of it. I can't find those books anywhere. I've got to buy it online. I'd rather be able to go to a bookstore. But Right. I miss Walden Books. I even Hastings was, you know, yeah. any yeah. port and storm nice. kind of situation. Yeah. yeah. But now and uh, there's writings on the wall that basically the Dusty here in town was going to lose their lease. They managed to get a one-year extension, but they're probably I saw that. They're probably gone in a year unless something really turns around. So I think that's absolutely insane. The fact that they they rebuilt that building. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that seems to be the case with Aggieville right now. Is I I you know I know nothing, but I'm assuming. Oh rent yeah. It just keeps going up, and you know. It used to be fun because there were tons of kind of specialty mom and pop shops. Yeah, there's up and down the street. More. It was like a weird mixture of bars and like some local person's like clothery store that they just yeah. decided to kind of make. And all of those are gone now because if you're not turning out a decent amount of money, you can't you can't afford to be there. So it's well, no, and it's all owned by the same bar now. Yeah, and so with the new yeah, it used to be all Rusty's, and then Rusty's empire collapsed, and now it's all cause. So yeah. It's super sad and it's unfortunate because the local businesses are the ones that are not only putting all the infrastructure into the building and all the yeah. maintenance, they're also paying a shit ton in rent. So these landlords are literally just getting fat cat off of them. Yeah. And I'd love, you know, and the problem like downtown has finally, finally been growing in Manhattan. You know, it's, it's so yeah. much nicer down there than it was when I was a student, but I think oh my God, their outdoor with, patios are fantastic yeah. down there. But I think along with that, the rent steadily going up and it's also harder for people to, you know, maintain their little shop downtown too. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this is, how, this is how malls are going to get back into business is everybody's going to start to go back into the mall and yeah, then go yeah. right back out. There we go. Um, but yeah, well, I just saw an article that somebody turned a mall into a giant pickleball plex. So there <laughs> There that's, you go. That's kind of cool. It's kind of a genius move, but yeah, yeah, it's like I love all the apartment buildings that are going into malls right now. I think yeah. that's a cool idea. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that, but that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Manhattan mall would be a hard one to turn into apartments, but true. But it's still doing well compared to most of them. I mean, it's still got empty a lot of empty stalls, but I mean I went to like the mall in Topeka a couple months back and it was one of the most dis- depressing things that I've done in a long time. It was like, oh, uh, there's like 10 stores in this entire building that are open and they're clustered around either end near their, you know, their one anchor store. And yeah, it was, it was like, yeah, just felt like I was walking through some kind of, you know, ruined society sort of <laughs> like very dystopian walking through there. It was when I went to Oklahoma city with my friend Danielle, Mm-hmm. We found a mall because it said there was a flea market and we're yeah. you know, dumb white girls. We're just going to go do what we're supposed to go do and walk into the horror movie. So we opened the doors and walk in and I was like, and this mall feels weird. And she's like, no, it doesn't. It's fine. And we're just walking around and she's like, okay, this mall feels weird. Why do I feel like we're in the apocalypse? And I was like, I don't know. Every store we walk by is closed. Right. Yeah. And as you start to make it closer to where the, the flea market is, there's yeah. a handful of weird stores and they're, most of them are like, hispanic stores so you've got like the quinceanera store there's a couple of like fruit stands they're not open yet for some reason mm-hmm. um and then just randomly there's a victoria secret and a bath and body works and i was like google them <laughs> on your phone 
let's see if this is like legit or if these are not <laughs> right this is just a honey trap for middle-class white women right yeah there was a really cool train uh shop where like some guy had just rented out a space to put his hobby train in and yeah. then lets people walk through nice apocalyptic malls are kind of kind of cool not gonna lie <laughs> Yeah, it'd be cool if things moved back into it. But yeah, when we were walking through there, it was just like, yeah, it was weird. Yeah, it, like, it's really hard to shop online all the time. Yeah, no, it's nice to go somewhere, but like, I, I know people don't support it. I mean, I, you know, I had friends that are, have been in business locally and they would always talk about the fact that, yeah, people would come and talk to them to get the expert advice about whatever stuff and then leave and buy it online. So, right. Everybody always always talks about, look, oh, I'd love to be able to talk to a person about what product to get and whatever else. And they would do that and then just go buy it cheaper online, cheaper somewhere else. And you're like, so there's there's no no advantage to to have people that know anything because people aren't going to actually use your advice to support your store. So, yeah, it's a it's a mess. Man, that sucks. Yep. I get it, though. It's hard with everything so expensive. It is hard to. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, people, people are going to, you know, you're going to get the best deal you can get. I mean, that's, that's just kind yeah. of how, how it works, but. Well, I mean, okay. Let's talk about bookstores though, real quick. When did books become 15, $20 for a paperback book that yeah. I can read in two hours? Yeah. They used to be like six or $7. Yeah. It and that was up. expensive at the rate mm-hmm. that I buy books. Yep. Yeah. That's why things like dusty are nice. Mm-hmm. But it's hard because you can't always get the book that you yeah, were yeah. looking for. <laughs> you only get the cast-offs from everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And now uh, they can't afford to pay people for any of their books. So it's truly just what people want to come in and donate. So I know. That's hard. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, a very cool story. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And check out check out the name of the rose. It uh, Yeah, it sucked me in good. Okay, I will. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it's got a whole bunch of levels, so I, mean, I need to reread it because I read it in like high school and I did not know the history well enough because there was a lot of detailed history about the various heresies going on at the different times and whatever. And like, I don't know who any of these people are. But, right, right. But yeah, you know, it was a, a pretty gripping story. So cool. Good stuff. I will check it out. All right. Yep. Well, thanks everybody for listening this week. Uh, thanks for all the info and uh, as always uh, uh, rate review subscribe tell your friends about our podcast and uh, we'll see you all in a week Bye. Bye, folks.